I guess we should have been more mindful of the history, right? And and Charlie's reference to the pandemic of 1918 and the strong recovery in people going out of their homes to seek entertainment and the strong economic recovery of the early 1920s gives us all hope about how we learned to come out of, of this pandemic. This is the Box Office Podcast, and it is Monday, August 23rd, the first day of CinemaCon. This is our daily CinemaCon edition that we are producing here from Las Vegas, and we are joined in yet another edition of this podcast by our co-hosts, Rebecca Pauly, Deputy Editor at Box Office Pro, and Sean Robbins, Chief Analyst at Box Office Pro. I am Daniel Luria, the Editorial Director of Box Office Pro, the official magazine of the National Association of Theater Owners. We've got a packed week of guests, of interviews, of analysis here on this daily podcast. Today, we will have John Fithian, the head of NATO, and Charles Rifkin, the head of the Motion Picture Association, joining us for an exclusive interview. But before we get to that, here is a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Dolby Laboratories. Elevate your cinema offering with Dolby. Dolby boasts a diverse portfolio of products for every auditorium need. From Dolby Cinema, Dolby's pinnacle movie-going experience, to Dolby Atmos, their premium immersive audio offering, to auditorium packages tailored for any size theater and everything in between. Dolby also offers a full range of audio, imaging, accessibility, and content management solutions designed to give audiences a best-in-class cinema experience. Discover the Dolby difference. Learn more at professional.dolby.com forward slash cinema. Rebecca, Sean, it's great to see you guys in person, but here's the asterisk. We're not in person just yet. We're actually recording this days before the event while we're getting our luggage ready. We're packing our bags, getting everything all set up. Of course, this episode is coming out Monday morning, so it would be impossible to to get this uh, done live from Las Vegas today. We will do so in the coming week's episodes. Uh, I guess let's just start with with how you guys are feeling as we are about to get into the first in-person convention in really since October 2019, since Show East 2019. This is the first major exhibition convention. Um, Guys, uh, we'll go over the schedule in a little bit, but how are you feeling so far? Um, I, I'm uh, curious, excited, uh, a little bit trepidatious, obviously. I think uh, with with the Delta and with, with case numbers, I think that's natural and that's something that's probably shared by a lot of people. But yeah, I'm excited. Um, I've only ever been to one CinemaCon in 2019. Um, so I'm finally going to be able to see and talk to some of the people who I've been speaking to um, virtually over uh, over the last year. Um, what I'm really hoping for, and and what I think is is fair to say I anticipate, is uh, a celebration of exhibition that is more forward looking than looking back and all the, uh, frankly, all the trauma that this industry has been through over the last year. And I'm really hopeful that we're going to have an optimistic, almost rallying of the industry in person for the first time in so long. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to that, even if I'm not looking forward to Vegas heat. But who is? <laughs> I would second all of that. You know, it's it's going to be a very unusual 
convention by any measure, especially for CinemaCon. There will be a lot fewer people there, so that's going to be a little bit of a different experience. But yeah, I, I, I like the I like what you said about this being a celebration and kind of an optimistic look ahead. And then also, you know, who knows what kind of announcements will come out of this. This is probably an opportunity for studios to make any changes they might want to make from the fall. I don't, I don't like having to say that, but this is, it's, it's an atmosphere where they're in direct contact with theater owners and it's probably going to be the most amicable way if there is any big delay. Hopefully there's not, hopefully it's just small moves of big films, but beyond what studios are doing, this is, this is really exhibitions time to get together for the first time in quite a long time. So I, I think, I think the takeaways from the, from this week will be quite interesting to talk about. How about you, Daniel? What are you uh, looking forward to this week? Oh my God. I, I'm looking forward to, to quite a bit. I think the best way to go about it is just go day by day on the schedule we have ahead. So this podcast is being released here first thing in the morning in Las Vegas. So we're going to go over the schedule with you guys each day during this podcast. Today on Monday, the events start at 1.30 p.m. at the Turin Room on the Promenade level, where there's going to be an executive roundtable. This is actually, guys, one of the panels I'm looking forward to the most this week. The title of that panel, Globally Speaking, A Look at the International Market, moderated by Nancy Tartaglione, the international box office editor uh, over at Deadline. And it's a great series of panelists. We've got Mookie Greidinger, the CEO of Cineworld, Veronica Kwan Vanderberg, the president of distribution at Universal Pictures International, Alejandro Ramirez Magaña, the CEO of Cinepolis, and Mark Vian, the president of international theatrical distribution at Paramount, really speaking and really setting the setting the tone, I think, for an entire week where we can get this exchange of ideas between industry leaders. I really like that this panel is very internationally focused. And for our listeners that want to see this panel but can't make it to CinemaCon, we're actually going to have it available exclusively to us at a special live session on Thursday morning, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific time this Thursday. You can register through our through our homepage, boxofficepro.com. On the top left-hand corner, you'll see a button that says live sessions. We will have a recording of today's panel at CinemaCon available to you on that Thursday morning. And we'll also have Sean, Rebecca, and myself on site live to tell you about our latest analysis of the event. Moving on with the schedule today from 3 to 4 p.m., we've got, uh, you know, one of these speaking engagements that I know Matt and Mitch, the organizers, the producers of the event, like to bring in. They always like to bring in these perspectives from outside the industry. Rebecca, I know it's something that, that you always uh, like to look into in, in your editorial approach here in the magazine and the publication. What lessons can we learn from other out-of-home entertainment destinations, right? So we've got Jeff Henderson, the celebrity chef and best-selling author, joining us at the Palace Ballrooms from 3 to 4 p.m. today on Monday, followed by Valerie Alexander, the CEO of Goalkeeper, talking about workforce happiness um, and, and how those in, internal operations uh, priorities can really help these institutions bounce back. She'll be following up from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. at the Palace Ballrooms. And then I think this is the first big topic of conversation we should open up amongst ourselves from 6 to 9 p.m. 
at the Coliseum. Finally, it's, it's really felt like forever. The big screen is back, the opening night presentation from Sony Pictures Entertainment. Sean, let's start with you. What are you hoping to learn from Sony in this opening night presentation? Well, I think as I kind of alluded to, one of the big questions will be how much of their own release calendar remains in place. They have long been a studio that we've really kind of looked at as being one of the first out of the gate amid this recovery process to have a lot of big films. Venom will be out now in October, uh, Ghostbusters in November. And of course, I think probably the one a lot of people are really looking forward to hearing about will be the Spider-Man film. Uh, rumors are, this is unconfirmed. We don't know if it'll happen, but there's a potential that there will be a first trailer for that released at some point very soon, hopefully during CinemaCon. Uh, with Shang-Chi about to release in the, around Labor Day, it just makes sense for Sony and Marvel Studios to to start marketing that film. That's presuming it's it's going to remain in December where it's dated. But I think in general, we we might also start to get an idea of what their 2022 slate looks like and how that's that's really coming to, together. So uh, as and as the first studio to really be presenting at CinemaCon, I think that's an important stage for Sony to be on, especially with how dedicated they have been to the theatrical window up to this point. Uh, not to say that other studios aren't really committed to theatrical, but Sony in particular has really stood out in terms of delaying, delaying, delaying until they can get their films in theaters. So I'm really looking forward to what they have to say about everything that's going on right now. Yeah, same same for me, Sean. I mean, they've taken the case of uh maybe selling off individual films where necessary, where the situation called for it. But there really hasn't been any sort of sweeping statement regarding, uh, oh, we're going to be doing a 45-day window for films that reach above a certain opening opening weekend queue or anything like that. So I'm not sure if we're going to see any sort of announcement of uh future policy at this uh, at this event. Sean, you've been to, to more of them than I have. I don't really know if it's the place for it, um, but I definitely hope and expect to see a, a reaffirmation of, of their commitment to theatrical exclusivity, whatever theatrical exclusivity means in 2021 and moving on to 2022. But um, just for that reason, for the dedication that they've shown, uh, to theatrical exclusivity. I, I think it's really wonderful to have them kick off CinemaCon, really. Uh, I do expect, I think, a, a big ovation for Sony, which, as you mentioned, Rebecca, has had, like other folks, has had to sell a couple of titles, uh, really, to, to keep afloat, um, but has committed all of their titles to a theatrically exclusive window. I think it's going to be a, a, a very... A very important uh, opening at night presentation, and it's it's great to see Sony taking that spot. Um, my biggest question mark from the event, and I think this is going to be a question mark that I have for all of these presentations, is I think the question we've been asking ourselves since Tenet and Mulan were, were starting to get moved last summer, are any of these trailers that we see going to have any dates on them? That's a massive question mark. And I ask that because of the recent developments in Paramount moving Clifford the Big Red Dog uh, out of its September spot. Sony moving Venom back from, I believe it was its September slot. Uh, Sean, correct me if I'm wrong. It's, it's now being released in, in October, right? Right, yeah. So yeah, I think that's going to be a, a big question mark on my end. Are we going to start seeing dates on some of that footage uh, we're going to see, or is it going to be that very vague coming soon, right? Uh, I think it's it's something that applies not only to Sony, but to other of the folks uh, coming to the event. 
And I think that leads us to the next big question mark before we go into our feature interview segment with John Fithian and Charles Rivkin. Uh, on the biggest questions we have going into this CinemaCon. Every time this event comes in, I think it's a great opportunity to, to see the state of the industry and get a peek at where things are going. Now, one of the things that I always roll my eyes at is that there's always a, a crisis du jour when we show up, you know, whether it's uh, that screening room PVOD thing that we had a couple of years back, then it was movie pass that was going to just destroy everything. This year, there's a very real crisis. There's no fabricated crisis to come in with and, uh, and start assuming what might happen. We're in a very difficult situation. My question here is what are the cinema circuits going to invest in? We see that SVOG money now coming in. Circuits need to sort of replenish their entertainment arsenal to draw audiences out of the home and back into theaters. That's going to be a massive question mark. Is it going to be uh, mobile apps and mobile ordering like we've seen a lot of different circuits do? Is it going to be more premium large formats? I'm going to be very, very curious to hear about the deals we see on what the CapEx from these major circuits and, and the smaller players is going to. Rebecca, on your end, what's your big question mark going into the CinemaCon? Um, I, honestly, I would, I would have to echo what you just said. I'm curious as to how that is going to play out with the SVUG money in. But then also, I mean, these exhibitors are not, um, you know, flying high and fancy free when it comes to money in the bank at this point. Right. So um, I will just be quite interested you know, I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but uh, my favorite part is always the trade show and just going around and talking to people and seeing which tables are busy and kind of giving a little bit of a boots on the ground perspective of the theatrical, let's say, accoutrements and features uh, that are maybe attracting more attention. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking forward to. I, I'm kind of trying uh, to go in with as few preconceived notions as I can, you know? I'm gonna be zen on this one. I'm rolling with the punches. <laughs> Sean, on your end, what what's that big question you have? I know you already teased part of it, which is basically, hey, is anyone going to announce a 2022 strategy, right? Uh, but right. generally, what, what are you really looking at as you enter this event? I For me, it's, it's really getting a gauge on what movies are coming out. I mean, that's really the simplest way yeah. to put it. That's kind of what these studio presentations always typically have been for CinemaCon. But this year is, is as important as there has ever been because theater owners especially are now wondering as we slowly march through this like long recovery that will very clearly last through the end of the year and probably well into next year, what kind of content will be available to us? We've had a tease of it throughout this summer with occasional blockbusters, but now we're getting into that calendar of of more consistency, uh, presuming no no changes to the release schedule. So it's it's really a matter of of getting a, a firm grasp on the the quality of films, or at least the quality of the marketing of the films, which is really half of the success of of blockbuster movies these days. And really, that's typically these studios give us a look at those movies roughly eight to twelve months out at CinemaCon, and occasionally you'll get a special little announcement for a film that may be even further out. Uh, it's hard to say if that will happen this year, given everything going on. But I think those are kind of the the high level uh, examples of of what usually has happened and might hopefully happen again this year. Something I'm curious about too is, um, you know, Sean, like you mentioned, we may see dates on some of these trailers. We may not see dates on some of these trailers. And 
obviously marketing for any film over the last year and a half has been just a crazy situation where you, you see these studios not wanting to put a ton of money, a ton of effort into marketing a title that may move. So I'm curious to see if some of these studios take CinemaCon as some of a, maybe a, a kickoff point almost for a more right. robust marketing campaign for some mm. of these films that are coming out on the sooner side. And guys, we've been talking about the same movies for almost two years now. How long has it been that we've been talking about No Time to Die, about the, the second Top Gun movie? I'm excited to just hear about new movies and like like Sean says, see what's out there and get an idea of the slate that's coming up. I It's not that I feel like we've been talking about it. We have been talking about these movies since CinemaCon 2019. It'll be great to get some perspective uh, beyond what was originally to be this 2020 slate and into the future. Well, Sean, Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us here today. Next up, we've got the feature interview with John Fithian and Charles Rivkin. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we will see you again tomorrow morning for the next edition of the Box Office Podcast at CinemaCon. John Fithian, Charles Rifkin, thank you so much for joining us here on the Box Office Podcast in this daily CinemaCon edition, kicking off, of course, during the event here live from Las Vegas. Uh, this is a pre-recorded conversation for our listeners. We taped this uh, about a week before the event, um, and we're so happy to have you guys here. Let's start with a very macro level question. And uh, John, I'll, I'll start with you and then we can go over with uh, Charles. You know, this industry right now, we're still very much dealing with the effects of the pandemic. We, we hoped that we would be in probably a different place right now. But in terms of the recovery for the cinema effort, where are we right now? Well, thank you, Daniel. It's good to be with you and uh, Charlie, my good friend and partner throughout this whole pandemic uh, and your entire team. Thank you so much for joining us, not just for this podcast on the opening day of CinemaCon, but also taking the stage with me on, on Tuesday morning uh, to address the industry. It means a lot to all of our theater owner members out there that the MPA and you personally, Charlie, and your whole team are are supporting us because it's been... It's been, as you know, it's been a rough road uh, through this pandemic for theater owners, uh, as it has been for your studio members as well. And so just, you know, thank you for being with us. In terms, Dan, of where we are, uh, I think we're like almost to halftime in the recovery, uh, but certainly not much farther than that. We had hoped to be further along by this point in 2021. Um, but there are some good signs, right? And we've had some, some big movies start to do very, very well. Uh, even given the challenging times, uh, we've seen customers' uh, interest in coming back out to the cinemas in growing numbers. Um, and we knew we'd have to walk before we run, and that's indeed playing out. And it'll probably be way into 2022 before we're back up at the levels uh, we were pre-pandemic. But we're encouraged by the progress, uh, even though it's going to take a while. Well, first of all, Daniel, thanks for letting me take part in this podcast. John Fithian, those were very kind words, and I uh, really appreciate them. I look forward every year to standing by your side and talking about the future of the industry on stage at CinemaCon. I missed it last year, and I can't wait uh, for uh, for Tuesday. So that's that's fantastic. And Daniel, to your question, I agree with everything John said. I just want to add that the future still feels a bit uncertain, of course. 
but we've learned a lot of valuable lessons over the past year, and we've gained incredible ground. And, and we can expect some big wins going forward and some setbacks, but we're going to come out of this stronger than ever because our industry is facing one of the toughest ordeals in our 100-year history. And it's going to take some time before, before we can look back and say we've made the ultimate comeback. But you know what? We will. Now, you mentioned, Charlie, that there's been a lot of lessons learned uh, in the last year, and that's really informing our strategy moving forward. Could you point some of those out, highlight some of those biggest lessons that you've learned over this past year and a half that will help the industry navigate the pandemic's ongoing challenges? I mean, in my opinion, we've learned valuable lessons about our ability to innovate and innovate to face daunting challenges. We we also recognize that we have to work together as an industry, combined with a comeback spirit that's defined our industry for the past century. These are clearly the foundations of our past and our present and absolutely our future. You know, I'm not the first person to draw parallels to uh, uh, from COVID-19 to the influenza pandemic of 1918, uh, but I am really confident that we're in the midst of another uh, roaring 20s because that's what followed the 1918 pandemic. Back then, some of our members were in their infancy and just about to be formed. Paramount and First National was back then. Uh, it was a decade old. AMC, MGM, Warner Brothers, Disney, they were all founded in the 1920s. And the MPA was founded in 1922. So we, we're going to be 100 years old next year. And together, these companies grew rapidly and created an iconic industry. We're on the verge of something great right now. We're going to rebound and rebound strong. And I'm, I'm happy to say that Box Office Magazine, our own publication, was also born in 1920, part of this great recovery that, that you speak about. On your end, John, uh, what are those, some of those biggest lessons that NATO has learned over the past year and a half uh, that equip you for the next uh, challenges ahead? Yeah, so I guess we should have been more mindful of the history, right? And and Charlie's reference to the pandemic of 1918 and the strong recovery in people going out of their homes to seek entertainment and the strong economic recovery of the early 1920s uh, gives us all hope about about how we learn to come out of, of this pandemic. And And we've learned so many things, right? We've learned to expect the unexpected, to be prepared for the unexpected. Uh, to be flexible with how we operate. Uh, but most importantly, I think we've learned to work together as an industry. And I give the studios and Charlie great credit here. They've been with us side by side in every part of the relief process and the recovery process of our industry. And I would contrast that with what's gone on in the country, unfortunately, because I don't believe as Americans we have worked together side by side as much as we should have. And I think we've all learned from the pandemic that we really shouldn't politicize things like science, that we should listen to our scientific advisors and our health advisors and our leaders, regardless of their political party. And we should work together to come strongly out of this pandemic. I think we're beginning to do that better as Americans now. Um, but within our own little microcosm of our industry, I think the greatest lesson of the pandemic is work together to recover from the challenges that we faced. And again, couldn't have had a better partner than, uh, than Charlie and his members in that, in that uh, working together. Well, let's talk a, a little bit more about that, about that working together, because as two of the biggest advocates of our industry, a lot of your work isn't always seen by general audiences or even really members of the press. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. What were some of those things that you pushed for out of the public eye that helped keep our industry afloat 
and you know the, the people that work in this industry to continue collecting paychecks over that last year. Well, there were so many elements of the partnership uh, during the pandemic that it's it's hard to pick out just a few, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it my best, right? I think the first one I would cite is how to operate safely coming out of a pandemic. And that's both in terms of how you produce movies, uh, Charlie's members' jobs, and how you exhibit movies, our members' jobs. And we collaborated very closely on this. In fact, we consulted with some of the same epidemiologists uh, we we shared ideas about how to develop safety protocols. Um, Charlie's team got the studios back up and running with careful production protocols, and we got exhibitors back up and running uh, with protocols uh, in the cinema called Cinema Safe. And so that uh, th- that that partnership during the pandemic uh, was essential. Um, we also tremendously appreciate the support of our studio partners and indeed the entire creative community as they helped us seek uh, relief. Uh, we had uh, one of the most successful lobbying campaigns in the 30 years or so that I've represented theater owners uh, to get uh, recovery funds out to uh, theater operators to get tax breaks in place. Um, Charlie and his team the, the top executives of his members, over a hundred movie directors working through the DGA and Russ Hollander's team, all came together to lobby behind the scenes to produce what was an essential lifeline to keep to keep theater owners alive uh, during the pandemic. Um, and then the last of the three examples I'll cite is that I just love the way this industry always pulls together to help its own people. Um, The Will Rogers Motion Picture Pioneers Foundation that's supported both by Charlie's members and by ours created a relief fund very early in this process to help our 150,000 furloughed employees on the exhibition side and to help some people on the studio side too. Um, Some of Charlie's members made big contributions and so did ours. And and we rallied to help the workers who just didn't have a paycheck coming in uh, to tide them over until the government passed some pretty good unemployment compensations. Well, first of all, John said it very, very well. And uh, But just to build on a couple of the points he mentioned, um, from our vantage point, I think the most impactful initiative that the MPA brought to the table was the health and safety protocols uh, that, we, that we created. And John, John briefly uh, pointed them out. It was done in the early days of the pandemic in, in 2020. And it was a collaboration between the studios, the unions, the guilds, public health experts, and made it safe for hundreds of thousands of production workers in the United States and allowed them to come back to work. And these protocols led to one of the safest work environments when we're on set uh, in the United States, resulting in some of the lowest positivity rates in the country. And that took a tremendous amount of effort and a lot of coordination, and we're proud of the result. You know, there, there are a lot of things we advocate for that make our industry as great as it is, from protecting free speech and rights of creators to securing strong copyright protections so that they can profit from their creative works. And these things aren't really public. We, we do this every day. They're not something everybody necessarily knows about. But last year mandated that we do even more. We do all of that and even more. And as John mentioned, together we knocked on every door that mattered, from Capitol Hills to state houses. I personally called 28 of the nation's 50 governors to make my case. We advocated for liquidity, for PPP loans and grants, the expansion of unemployment insurance, and also ensuring that cinemas were included in the Save Our Stages Act that John mentioned. The NATO team and the MPA team worked very closely together 
to make sure that we made that happen. Now, messaging, as, as you guys mentioned, is such an important part of this. And you've had to also balance a very delicate task, not only messaging with the relevant uh, political authorities and representatives, but also messaging with audiences, right? And there's, there's the science and there's the perception of a return to cinemas. And that's such a sensitive and challenging task during this period. Uh, could you go into your strategy and approach in that communication through efforts like CinemaSafe and joint campaigns like The Big Screen is Back? And can we expect to see more of these collaborations in the coming months? Messaging is always important and it's always a collaborative process between uh, the producers and distributors of movies and those of us that exhibit them, right? Uh, but, but careful messaging became all the more profoundly important during and it will be as we continue to come out of the pandemic. Uh, messaging the safety protocols was very important. And again, the MPA and, and, and NATO worked together on that with our epidemiologists developing the right protocols so that we could then publicize Cinema Safe. And many of Charlie's members, companies stepped up to the plate by emphasizing uh, those protocols in their, in their own promotional efforts. Uh, and so letting the consumer know that it was safe and time to come back out to the cinemas was an important part. Uh, but you can't, you can't get people back out to cinemas unless you also have the right product, right? So partnering together on the big screen is back campaign was also uh, quite important and quite rewarding. Um, and Charlie's team at the MPA and we at NATO were joined by some leaders at CAA, one of the biggest talent agencies in Los Angeles, in putting together a campaign about the big screen uh, being back, about movies coming back to cinemas, about what some of those movie brands were. We launched it in Los Angeles. Uh, we've had some, some pretty good play off of that campaign. It will be a theme again at CinemaCon. Um, and so messaging of both the safety of coming back to the cinemas and also the fact that the movies are coming back to cinemas uh, has been essential. Um, we're not done yet. Obviously, the Delta variant has created kind of a, um, a, a new wrinkle in, in consumer attitudes about safety and seeing movies in cinemas. And so, you know, the, the messaging challenges continue as, as we, like I said, are at halftime in this recovery process. But uh, but but we've we've worked very closely together on this as we have so many other aspects of the pandemic. NATO did a tremendous amount here to to really show the truth, to show that it is safe to go back inside a theater. Um, we did our best as well. Our individual member studios, as John pointed out, did PSAs and tried to get the point across. We're grateful to the Hollywood stars, the Tom Cruise and Arnold Schwarzenegger and others, who showed their love of the movie by by showing up and reminding people what it's like to sit in that audience and. And, and experience the unforgettable experience of today in our childhood. But, you know, when it comes to um, return to cinemas, return to production, return to our business generally, there is only one mantra, and John said it, which is that we're all in this together. And that includes the MPA, NATO, the studios, the theater owners, the unions, guilds, independent filmmakers. It's got to be all of us. You know, we laid the groundwork. We created a safe environment for workers and audiences through CinemaSafe, like John mentioned. And we're showing audiences they can feel as comfortable returning to the cinema as any other activity, uh, you know, through the big screen is back campaign, which I'm very proud of. John pointed out that was done with the enormous help of Brian Lourdes and CAA and, and, uh, and others in Hollywood. I think the worst is behind us. I really do. It's clear the pandemic isn't over. But until that time comes, you're going to see more and more collaborations between all of us, the entire industry. 
Well, you mentioned that importance of working together, Charlie. Could you highlight some of those examples where exhibition and distribution have worked together in initiatives that have really helped the industry move forward over the past year and a half? Well, we, we, uh, we discussed one of my favorite collaborations. I mean, is there anything better than Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator himself, declaring the big screen is back to a rousing audience who then chanted it over and over again? You know, the big screen is back uh, campaign was such an incredible moment because we could, again, feel the excitement of being in a theater, waiting to see the great stories told on the big screen and, and highlight the, the 1.6 million or so jobs that our industry supports. We're, we're about to start one of my favorite collaborations, which is CinemaCon. You mentioned it at the top of your show. And, and NATO puts on here, the, the, you know, the show that NATO puts on every year is simply unmatched. It's always extraordinary. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody again in person. I'm looking forward to meeting the exhibitors seeing the studio programs, and of course, uh, given the address on Tuesday about the state of the industry. Uh, but that's a perfect example of the collaboration. You'll hear a lot more about that collaboration when you hear uh, John and my speech on Tuesday. So Charlie described some of the some of the bigger program, programs quite aptly. And so what I think I'd like to do is is maybe use an unknown anecdote or two to talk about the collaboration. And one one pops into my mind in that New York City had its closed for a really long time, right? And so did Los Angeles. And we developed these safety campaigns together. Uh, we messaged them together. As Charlie said, he was on the phone with governors. We were doing our lobbying about the safe return of both movie production and exhibition. And yet we just couldn't get New York City open. And we had the protocols in place. We demonstrated the safety of it. And what finally worked is a phone call uh, with a bunch of uh, the governor's uh, lead people and the mayor's lead people um, that included, and I'm not going to name names, of course, but included one of Charlie's company's CEOs, included the CEO of a major talent agency, uh, included a representative of exhibition, and included some local theater people in New York. And they described together the importance of coming back to the cinemas you know, as we come out of this pandemic, they described the need of people to be able to get out of their homes and experience a shared experience uh, in front of the big screen. We described the health protocols um, and it, and it was, you know, one each of each sector of the industry talking about how important it was for New York to open cinemas and, and get us going again. Uh, and a week later uh, they opened cinemas in New York and New York was then the tidal wave that, then led to the studios being able to re-release big movies because it was a signal to the rest of the world it was time to go. So just one little anecdote of, of kind of collaboration behind the scenes that people don't necessarily know about where everybody was coming together to make the pitch about the need to return to cinemas. Um, and and that, that kind of anecdote was repeated over and over and over again during the pandemic. Um, and it will be, as Charlie said, uh, the best anecdote yet for us to show up together uh, in Las Vegas at CinemaCon and be able to talk about our future, to look at the great product coming from Charlie's companies, uh, to talk about innovation in cinemas as, as we reopen and expand. Um, so we're really excited to get back together in Vegas, and uh, um, I'm glad you guys are covering the event. 
Now, uh, you mentioned this a second ago uh, when you referenced the New York market being reopened. And that's market conditions, which are all over the place right now and make it difficult for us to really make an assessment of where we are in that recovery. Now, piracy is one of those issues that has had a massively detrimental effect on both your members over at NATO and the MPA. I'm wondering, because of the pandemic, how much has this pandemic exacerbated the piracy problem and what can the industry do to redefine its approach to fighting piracy in the current market conditions? Well, Dan- Daniel, it's a great, that's a great point. And, and uh, look, uh, we are absolutely committed. It's one of my core priorities to reducing piracy and protecting the legal marketplace for creative content. Piracy really harms our economy. I mean, it's cost the U.S. economy about 230,000 jobs each year and about $30 billion. It, it hurts creators. Uh, it hurts audiences. I mean, visiting a piracy website, by the way, puts people at an increased risk of malware, which can lead to identity theft and, and financial theft. By the way, uh, a Carnegie study just came out showing that when a pirate steals uh, a movie pre-release, it results in a 19% decrease in box office. So you can see where NATO and MPA's interests are, are combined, um, or, or common anyways. Um, and that's why in 2017, we formed something called the Alliance for Creativity and Entertainment. We call it ACE. Uh, and it's uh, grown into literally the leading global coalition dedicated to reducing piracy and protecting the legal marketplace for, for creative content. I mean, over the last year and a half, like you pointed out, there are more people at home watching content uh, than ever before. Uh, which is obviously leads to an increase in piracy. And here's a little known fact. In 2020, there were 137.2 billion visits to piracy websites around the world. Think about that number. So the only way we can fight piracy is kind of an all of the above approach. That means civil litigation, knock and talks, working with law enforcement, and a lot more. I mean, we know that the industry's recovery requires us everybody, all of us together to address piracy. And, and, you know, we've made tremendous progress. I'm very proud of it. Our current coalition that I mentioned, ACE, has the six motion picture association members, Disney, Warner, NBC, Universal, Sony, Paramount, and Netflix. But I also brought on board Amazon and Apple. The eight of these, uh, com- these eight companies, the most powerful studios in the world, uh, are the core, the governing board of ACE. And then all in, there's 35 members that span the globe. And we're, you know, it's an endless fight, but I think we're, we're, we're doing a good job. John, obviously piracy is something that's obviously extremely detrimental for theater owners, not only here in the US, but around the world. With the current market conditions the way they are, do you think it's important to redefine our approach to piracy or what has been that impact of that threat so far to the business? Well, I don't think it's a matter of redefining our approach. It's just rededicating ourselves to the cause. And Charlie and the MPA have been the lead warriors in the fight against piracy for many, many years. And the coalition that he just described, I, th- I think, is the most significant gathering of, of content producers to fight this battle ever. And it's having a great impact uh, as, as, as we tackle the scourge of piracy and the impact it's having on all of our businesses. Um, we, we play a support role in the fight against piracy, right? We, we train and, and coordinate our our members and our staff to try to defeat uh, the recording of movies inside movie theaters. 
Um, and it's a great example of another uh, way that we partner with the MPA with their leadership in that they track where recordings are taking place uh, uh, through watermarks in the content. They let us know. We coordinate with law enforcement. We track and try to stop and arrest the people that are that are stealing the content off of our screens. And that that partnership has been going on for uh, for years, and it just gets more sophisticated every year. Another part about the the source of piracy, of course, is digital content. Um, and and uh, and and here's one where I'll make a pitch for the exclusive theatrical window, in that the pandemic kind of necessitated that content be released in theaters and in the home at the same time, because Charlie's members just could not monetize uh, their movies purely on a theatrical run, given the consumers' concerns during a pandemic about going out to theaters. So we understood why movies were released without windows simultaneously. The challenge to that as we come out of the pandemic, of course, is that that puts a digital copy in the hands of the pirates on the first day of the theatrical release, which is much more damaging than a recorded copy from inside a cinema. So we're, we're, we're happy that, that we're coming out of the pandemic. We're happy that Charlie's members are returning to uh, releases with, with exclusive windows. And we think that also will help uh, counter the digital piracy that's gone on uh, during the pandemic. But, but again, these are issues led by the MPA. They have a tremendous team of, of technology experts and lawyers and lobbyists uh, fighting the issue. And, and we're, we're very supportive of that cause because it affects the entire industry. Now, I want to thank you guys so much for giving us the time to speak today right before CinemaCon. I want to close up this interview with a little bit of a what-if question. If you could each trade roles for a year, what would be the top item or items you'd like to address with each other's membership? Well, I, I, I should not presume to be able to influence Charlie Rivkin on, on uh, how he would lead his organization. This is a man of, of an amazing political career, diplomatic career, business career. Uh, he knows our business because he was in it you know, way back when as a CEO in the business and now is just a tremendous leader of, uh, of the industry. But I, I would... If I had to pick one thing, if I were in his shoes, I would do something that he is doing, which is to broaden the tent and to have more people involved in the causes of the MPA and the industry at large. Um, he's done that in a couple of ways. He's done that by bringing in Netflix into the MPA. Um, you know, a lot of people think, well, NATO and exhibitors don't get along with Netflix. We don't. That's not the case. We are working more and more with Netflix every day. Uh, and I think by bringing them into the tent of the MPA, Charlie broadened the reach and the messaging about the content and the importance of movies. Um, and I hope he gets Apple and Amazon and, and you know other companies like that into the MPA to join the, the many great causes that he's fighting on. But he also described the, the, the broader way he's brought people together, which is specifically around the issue of piracy. And so I, you know, I, I would do something if I were in his shoes that he's doing, and that's focus on broadening the tent and bringing people together for these causes. Well, look, I obviously it's a theoretical uh, question because I'm certain that there is no one better suited to running NATO than John Fithian. I don't know if if your uh, uh, if your audience realizes this, but John has led this extraordinary organization NATO for three decades. For 30 years, he's been in a leadership role running that company. And the reason they've kept him in and the reason he continues to excel is that he's a diplomat, which is required. Uh, he is a fierce advocate for his industry. He's a tough negotiator. And he's also a really good person and a good friend. 
And I got to tell you that um, it's because we get along and trust each other and try to work towards a common goal uh, that we have a better chance of solving problems for the industry at large. So, um, uh, you know, I guess I would answer the question in a highly theoretical way, since I, I don't want anybody to take John's uh, job, even for a moment, uh, to talk about it. But um, I, I too would do things that John has, has already is already started to do. I, I'd, I'd address what's already been discussed, which is, you know, finding new ways to grow and enhance the theatrical experience. Uh, we're in the golden age of content. We we should all look for ways to lift up uh, the entirety of that content across a variety of business models in a way that lifts up the industry for everybody. And, uh, and that's what John and I are, are, are challenged with and what we're working towards uh, on a daily basis. Well, thank you so much for your time, John Fithian and Charlie Rifkin here on the Box Office Podcast. Mm-hmm.